What is going on, everybody? It's Thea Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you're having an amazing day. And I am really excited to share this interview with Sarah Macon. Now, you may not recognize that name, but just to give you a little bit of context, she is the founder of Macon Wellness, which is one of the world's strongest online therapy firms or agencies, uh, definitely not coming up with the right word there, online, they, yeah, they'd be like an online therapy agency. They have uh, therapists specializing in a myriad of different mental illnesses, and she is unbelievably knowledgeable. I actually went to, uh, she's based out of Pittsburgh. I actually went to Pittsburgh to meet her myself and have a, an in-person discussion just because I didn't have tons of prior interaction with her. And hopefully that gives you guys an idea of the level of vetting we try to do with our guests here. Um, some were able to vet better than others, but I really do want to make sure that I'm providing you a quality guest. And the reason I was interested in Sarah in particular is number one, her practice does acknowledge porn addiction as an, an actual condition, which not everybody does, uh, believe it or not. But secondly, is that because her practice is serving people in so many different mental illnesses, um, I just figured she would be able to give a really comprehensive overview of the mental health, mental illness landscape today and current treatments, what you guys can do if you're looking for help in this area. And man, she did not disappoint. She is a fountain of knowledge and just brought, we, we talked about like a little bit of everything. Like we talked about anxiety and PTSD and why finding specialists is important and the importance of being evaluated before coming up with a treatment plan, agreeing to a treatment plan before you go into it, knowing how long the treatment plan will take. We talked about resolving relationship conflict, narcissism, uh, a little a little bit of everything, getting in touch with your emotions, how to communicate during conflict. Uh, it, was, it was amazing. We, we really did cover the whole gamut and you're going to learn a lot from her. And uh, just before we do jump in, I'll mention two things that would be valuable for you. If you're um, if you're listening to this through this uh, through the lens of like I'm looking for a therapist and I would maybe consider somebody from Sarah's team. She's licensed in Pittsburgh, Vermont, and New York. Uh, no, sorry, Florida, Florida, Pittsburgh, and Vermont. Uh, Vermont, which means that if you're uh, based in those those states, then you could get insurance coverage. Um, obviously, you don't have to be based in those states. It's just that your insurance won't cover it otherwise. Secondly, is that they have a great podcast called Stuff My Therapist Says. And this is just a really cool way for you guys to learn about some of the other, um, you know, some of the other tools that are out there in the arena of improving your mental health. And so they do a really good job on there. Highly recommend it. Links to everything in the show notes. But without further ado, let's jump in. Here's my interview with Sarah Macon. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts? all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. All right. Well, I'm here with Sarah Macon of Macon Wellness. And Sarah, I've been following you for a little bit, a big fan of what you do. And uh, there's many reasons, which we'll dive into a bunch of it, but all is to say, thanks so much for being here. Of course. And thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I'm excited to jump in. I think there's a lot that our audience can learn from you, but we'll start a little bit broad and then maybe we'll get into some more specifics as we kind of go on. So you have a career as a mental health professional. You've also built a practice. You're very entrepreneurial. And I, I do want to ask you a question or two about that, but 
Uh, I think you and I know that most people who get into any kind of mental health profession typically have been impacted by mental health personally, whether it's directly or indirectly. Uh, For me, I lost several friends to suicide actually when I was in high school, and that's what kind of got me on this path. And I know that for you, you had some personal experiences as well. Um, I'm wondering if you'd be comfortable just sharing a little bit with the audience about what kind of got you in this line of work to begin with. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I struggled with a lot of challenging experiences when I was growing up. And I was able to get into therapy and my therapist really saved and transformed my life. And so ever since then, I've really been on a mission to give this gift back to the masses and to help people with transformative online therapy. So when you when you signed up for a therapist, we were talking about this a little bit when when we met earlier. Um, my understanding is that it was not like you didn't have everybody like cheering you on into the therapist's office. Uh, you had to hurdle some stigma, some cultural elements. Can you talk a little bit about that too? Like what, what was it that made you say like, I need therapy enough that I'm willing to hurdle some of the obstacles that were in your way? Oh yeah, definitely. So there was at the time, a lot of stigma around getting into counseling and therapy and mental health. And my family's background as well. Um, My parents are from Iran. And so typically in the Middle East, counseling and mental health and therapy is not a very common thing. And so there was sort of like this lack of understanding of what it is and a lot of judgment. Right. And so I, um, It's true, not only with myself, but just with clients in general, when the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain making a change. That's typically when people make a change. So then I realized, okay, like what I'm doing clearly isn't working. And so even though doing something different is not necessarily what I want to do, I felt like it's what I needed to do. And I'm so grateful that I did do it. Yeah, no kidding. And I, I mean, I know for me, yeah. like um, Indian culture, so definitely some similarities. And my dad was a pastor as well. And there was a, definitely a degree of like, even just shame, I think, to admit that you had some sort of mental illness, like shame on the family, like it kind of like, yeah. it reflects poorly, right? So I really do admire just that you had that kind of courage when you were young. I'm curious, did what was your parents response like once you did start to improve and, and, and start to like get some benefits? Were they able to see that as well? Or, or maybe not so much? Yeah, yeah, they were definitely able to see the benefits of it after the fact. It was really just getting into it. There's a lot of um, hesitation um, at that point in time. And obviously, everyone does the best that they can. This isn't to like slam them by any means. Um, yeah. So they definitely see the value of it and they're huge supporters of it at this point in time. That's and it's amazing. interesting because my dad's in the healthcare sector and he has kind of our cards and brochures and it's interesting because a lot of his patients like that he could see could benefit from it he like now refers to us which is such an amazing thing to see things come like full circle yeah no kidding I love that so um I did want to ask you about that because uh you've taken a very entrepreneurial approach in in what you do I mean you built a, a massive practice and you've only been doing it for I think my understanding is maybe five or six years so it's quite impressive just to see what you've done and I wanted to ask for for somebody who maybe is like Oh, are you are you an entrepreneur or are you a therapist? 
Um, I mean, really, you're wearing both hats. And I'm wondering if you can help people understand why did you choose this approach instead of, you know, building up a, a more of a one on one practice and getting a chance to be the person who does all of the work? Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, when I first started making wellness, I was rendering the therapy service and I very quickly maxed out at what I could do no matter and things got to a point where there was a massive wait list I was seeing I think it was like 50 plus clients a week which is very unusual yeah um and it was just um I always knew that I wanted to make a big impact and it's impossible to make a big impact on your own you know if you want to go fast you go alone but if you want to go far you definitely need a team so that's mm. when i really started to prioritize delegating and bringing on the right people and establishing systems and processes and taking things outside of my head and into um and more uh clear and systemized operations yeah so we've continued to grow as the demand has grown and i think um in this sector, the good news and bad news spreads quite fast. And so our team's developed a big reputation for really providing um, exceptional client care. That's our number one value is excellent client care. So yeah, that's cool. I, I was definitely thrilled to hear you say that, that like you have a pretty extensive vetting process as well. Like you're not just trying to fill positions and serve yeah. more people. You're really making sure that you get the right people on your team. Oh yeah, for sure. It's so, so important because like having one wrong person can really negatively impact so many different things. And I've told my team and just even for myself, like we spend so much time working that I don't want to work with people that I don't like. And I don't want to work yeah. with people that are not on, like, I want us to all be on the same page. So we're all rowing the boat in the same direction, you mm. know? So yeah, very important. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and, and I think one of the cool things, cause you, you have, is it 33 therapists on your team? Do I remember that correctly? Yes. Yeah. So I think the, the cool thing with a, a team that large is it's not like everybody specializes in PTSD or something like you have a, a wide array now of different specialties. And so you're able to serve so many people. And I wanted to ask you about this because I think, uh, like we were discussing, when when you and I were younger, mental health and or mental illness specifically had lots of stigma, and mm-hmm. you had to be really messed up or something really had to be wrong with you to get help, uh, which is why yeah. I think is so so amazing that you did that when you were so young. Um, but today we know that like it is becoming more normalized. Not that the stigma is totally gone, but um, but people do acknowledge the value of this a lot more. And I think maybe, maybe simultaneously, maybe there's a correlation and you can comment on this if you want, but we're also seeing like a, just a huge rise of like diagnoses, right? Like of people with anxiety and all kinds of stuff. And obviously there's a myriad of factors that play into that, but I'm wondering if you can maybe comment a little bit on some of the issues that really seem to be prevalent in your practice. What, what kind of issues are people coming to you guys with? Oh yeah. That's a great question. And the number one condition that we treat are anxiety disorders. Hmm. So they're also the most common disorders in the U.S. as well. So I think there's a relationship between that. Is that um, new, by the way? Of, Has it always been like um, that? It, I believe so. So okay. it has kind of like teetered between anxiety and depression, especially since COVID, been a lot more yeah, anxiety right. cases. Okay. So it's 
Yeah. So this is the number one condition that we treat. Um, number two is PTSD. Um, we have a ton of trauma specialists on our team. And I would say after that, it's a lot of relational challenges. So um, a lot of couples counseling. Um, so those are our top three. Yep. Yeah, it makes sense. So yeah. I want to I want to pick apart uh, or go after them all a little bit, if that's okay, because yeah. I'm guessing if that's what you're seeing the most, then our audience is probably raising their hand to at least one of those things, if not more. Um, mm-hmm. So starting with anxiety, what um, what constitutes like like clinical anxiety, and what typically? Um, obviously, I realize it's going to depend on the individual and stuff, but what are some basics that yeah. help people work through it? Yeah. So generalized anxiety and anxiety is especially you get to a place where there's uncontrollable worrying. So the person is worrying a lot, overthinking things, um, and it's causing them a lot of distress. So they're feeling nervous. Sometimes uh, they, they feel like they're having or they could be having heart palpitations. Um, some other symptoms are sweaty. Um, your hands can get really sweaty or you can be perspirating a lot more than um, usual. And so when it comes to treating anxiety, a lot of it is consists of coping skills, some lifestyle changes, and really working on addressing the root of anxiety. Yeah. Many times it's the way that you think about something. Huh. Okay, got it. Yeah. So can you give some examples of what like a lifestyle change would be? What What's something that they could change in their life that would actually help them work through anxiety? And I guess, is it maybe, is it is it that eventually they get to a place where that thing's no longer causing anxiety or that they've just gotten so well at managing it that even if they start to feel anxious, they're able to work through it? Oh, yeah. So a example of a lifestyle change is not having caffeine or significantly reducing your caffeine intake. A lot of people don't know that every time you have uh, caffeine, that your body starts to release a hormone called cortisol, which is the stress hormone. And if you're anxious, um, your your body is more than likely producing a lot of cortisol. It's that hormone that makes you feel very stressed out. So that's an example of a lifestyle change. And it's interesting because I've seen a lot of videos on Instagram, not by therapists, by patients, not our patients, but just people that are uh, anxiety patients online sure. about like making jokes about like, oh, yeah, like my iced coffee is going to help with my anxiety. It's like, <laughs> not <laughs> right. it's not going to help put the iced coffee away or get decaf, you know. Yeah. And so then the issue is like, okay, you're probably addicted to coffee. So then it's like, you know, the things get complicated that way. But that in of itself, I've seen a lot of clients, you know, pretty significantly reduce stress levels just by making that one change. Yeah, that that's a really good tip. I mean, you you probably it's probably not what the audience wanted to hear because those who drink yeah. their coffee love their coffee. But um, no, that that's a great point. So let me let me move to the next one. You mentioned PTSD is pretty prevalent as well. <clears throat> and I think um, we're starting to better understand PTSD because, uh, again, like 10, 15 years ago, PTSD was like war veterans, yeah. major car accident or a major injury. And now we know just how multivariegated trauma really is. Um, 
are there any particular causes of PTSD that are prevalent as well? Or is it is it maybe across the board that you guys are seeing things? Yeah, that's a really great question about what causes PTSD. There are certain um, commonalities or certain types of events that we have noticed that people have experienced these sorts of things there's an increased likelihood but ultimately it boils down to perception and that's what makes ptsd so complicated Mm. if we have a client that comes to us and says that an event was traumatic for them as a clinician if you're trauma informed you need to accept that this is what the patient's perception of the situation is and to be able to support them with the treatment um, so it's a lot of different things. I mean, you mentioned car accidents, um, combat experiences, um, natural disasters, um, economic, severe economic changes, sure. um, breakups, even, um, sexual assault. Um, it can be a lot of different things or even, yeah. um, a rejection. Um, there's so many different things. And so it's important that to have the understanding that the only person that can truly define like what is a traumatic event is you. Yeah. And if you identify as having trauma, then, and you identify something as a traumatic event, like no one can take that away from you because your feelings are, are valid for sure. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And probably something that people need to hear. And I think, uh, you know, we talked about trauma a lot on the podcast, because the reality is, um, for people that are experiencing porn addictions, or otherwise, typically traumas at play in their own story and their own experiences. But then um, in a couple's context, uh, there's a lot of betrayal trauma that happens to the other person as well. And so I think, um, I think that that was really helpful the way you painted that. Um, really quickly, I do want to ask about relationship mm-hmm. conflict because we know this is the age-old issue of humanity. And yeah. um, for you guys to have specialists that are you know helping this area, I think is amazing. I even saw you guys did a, an episode on your podcast not too long ago about the five love languages, which we talk about a yeah. lot. Um, can you comment a little bit on what are some some solutions that you guys are finding to be really helpful for couples in this day and age as they work through conflict? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So with I mean, nine out of 10 times by the time a couple starts couples counseling, the challenge is some type of miscommunication um, or lack of communication. So a lot of the work that our couple specialists do is helping the couples with improving their communication skills. Right. Um, One of the ways that it can happen is through taking the five love languages screening online and you can immediately learn and see what your partner's love language is. Mm. So it's like you can't speak Hindu to someone who speaks Arabic. They're not going to understand each other. You need to speak the proper language to the proper person. And so sometimes an example of a love language is gifts. So some people love to receive gifts. Um, but other times, other people, they just want words of affirmation. Mm-hmm. If you give gifts to someone who wants you to tell them that their hair looks cute every day, you know, they're not going to take that gift as love. 
Right. They take compliments as love. And so that's another very um, effective means of um, getting deeper insight into your partner. Um, and just because you have a similar personality to someone, um, whether you're dating or married or whatever, um, it doesn't necessarily always mean that you guys have the same love language. And sometimes it changes in life too. Yeah. Um, another example is an um, act of service. If someone is going through a lot, perhaps in their life, and they're becoming more busy of a person than what they were before, maybe in the beginning, their love language was um, physical touch, but like now they want to be shown love through acts of service through, you know, this person doing the dishes or setting up a cleaning service or making the bed or, um, taking care of some recurrent household tasks, but things change too with relationships. So like ever evolving. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It it really is. Well, especially because in a relationship, both people are growing and changing. And, yeah. Um, I know for me, I, I don't know that my order has changed uh, as far as love languages goes, but definitely the intensity of some of them has, you know, because things just change over time. Um, oh yeah. I think you, I mean, you definitely hit the nail on the head. Like communication is what a lot of relationship success boils down to or lack thereof, I suppose. What are what are some of your tips, uh, love languages aside, what are some other tips or other things that really do help people improve communication in a relationship? Yeah. So there's this formula and it's I feel blank when you blank. Okay. So if you experience something with your partner, observe something, um, or have a conversation or I have an idea of a conversation to have and you're concerned that it's not going to go well. Um, if there's a likelihood of the other person being defensive for any reason, or you think that they might not react well, the way that you frame it is I feel blank when you blank. So I feel disappointed when we have date night and you're not on time. Okay. Instead of you are always late. Today, night, and you never pay attention to me and X, Y, and Z. Right. So when you say you, and a lot of people are inclined to communicate in this way, starting a sentence with you, people, the other person immediately is going to more than likely feel defensive and put their guard up and then retaliate. Hmm. If you go into it with more of a gentle start, you're still communicating the same message, but it's going to be. Um, accepted more easily so that's one thing that helps a lot that's and really the cha- yeah but it's like you have you, you have to have some level of self-control when you communicate in this way because by the time most people get to this point they're annoyed or upset <laughs> right. you know and yeah. so it's like reminding yourself like okay like take a deep breath like you might want to go at them like this but you need to like consider the possibility of using that formula of I feel blank when you blank. Yeah. And it's all you always start with you and that or like I and then the other person, they're not going to be defensive because you have shared in a vulnerable way. And so they're more than likely going to. There's like this law of reciprocity hmm. that you're going to get what you give. So you need to communicate in that way first in order to increase the likelihood of your partner doing the same now if you're dating someone who's narcissistic 
or had some type of personality disorder or something. Right. You now, um, that's a totally different situation. But most people are going to respond in, um, in a more vulnerable way, too, if you do that. That's so good. And um, I know for me, like, uh, I'm, you know, three years into marriage, and I've definitely caught myself way too many times starting a sentence with you. And yeah, but even just even just the reminder, like, I'll catch myself saying you and then I stop because I'm like, Oh, I know, I know I'm wrong already, you know, but before I said the wrong thing, at least I could catch myself, like starting the sentence. So that even just that little detail is really helpful. Because you're right, like, you know, in the heat of a moment, sometimes people aren't, you don't necessarily have the presence of mind of like, okay, I feel this when you do this. Um, but you mm-hmm. can at least remember that first word to kind of get the ball rolling and hopefully it triggers the rest of the sentence, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. So, okay, a follow-up question to that because we're talking to an audience of men primarily. And okay. admittedly, a lot of us, uh, we weren't taught how to how to even complete an I feel statement. Like, Sometimes mm-hmm. we just get the like because this is something we work on in our program. It's one of the first things we teach guys is, um, you know, giving them a lexicon and giving them some examples and just teaching them how to like, you know, get in touch with that inner part and articulate it. But mm-hmm. admittedly, like it can be pretty funny sometimes what you hear because people will say, I feel I feel like you don't care about da 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 da. And it's like, well, that's not an I feel statement at all, actually. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. How, what would be some of your tips for somebody who's like, OK, Sarah, I know I need to get better at this, but I don't even know how to complete that first part of the sentence. How do I start to articulate what I'm feeling? Yeah. So that's a really great question. And with working with um, probably uh, thousands of men since I've started my career, one thing that I've noticed is that sometimes men have a hard time with identifying their emotions. I can't tell you how many times when I've asked a guy, how are you feeling, feeling today? And they say, good. Yeah. Good is not a feeling. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not a feeling. So what I've done and this is like, I've literally been done this with 40, 50 year old men is there's, um, you can go to Google and search like emotions chart. Hmm. And there are resources where it's like a chart and it has different faces and then different emotions. And you can start to look at that whenever you're working on identifying your emotions. So you can see different examples of different emotions, essentially. And that can help with identifying your emotions and or working with a therapist. Um, If you really struggle with identifying your emotions or if you feel completely out of touch with your feelings, which a lot of people are, especially nowadays. Um, So it's not abnormal if that is if I'm saying this and um, you're starting to feel like you might not be able to identify your emotions, it's okay. Um, It's just taking some time to do the due diligence so that you are indeed able to. And then once you start to identify your own emotions within yourself, doing the I feel blank when you statement starts to become a little bit more easy because it's the I feel blank. The blank is an emotion. Right. It's not good. It is not bad. It is not anything. You include the emotion that you're feeling. Yeah. And then when you, and then you fill in the dots of what the other person did or what you observed or what you think you might have observed type of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I think that framework is really helpful. And, 
Um, I, I love the emotion charts. I, I kind of laugh at some of them I see now because uh, a lot of the imagery they use are emojis because I think that's just the way people can relate to their emotions the most easily these days. So it's kind of funny yeah. how some of the stuff has evolved. But that's that's a we'll, if you have a favorite, I'll have to get a link from you maybe later on. But we'll make sure we put a link in the show notes to something um, that guys can get their hands on if they want a, a better taste of what that might look like. Yeah, sounds good. Cool. Uh, okay, let me transition a little bit to somebody who's who's in a position, maybe they do struggle with one of the issues we mentioned, like anxiety, PTSD, there's relational conflict, or it could be something else as well. Mm-hmm. What what should they be looking for if they do want to get professional help? Like what what's the recommended course of action? I mean, I think we kind of know where we are today. Like most people are, they're going to Google it, right? They're going to mm-hmm. YouTube it maybe. Uh, maybe they've heard a referral, like they've heard of a friend who did something. But let's let's assume that that either they're at that stage and they're vetting someone or maybe they're coming in totally green. How does somebody go about picking the right therapist for them personally and their situation? Yeah, so... Ideally, you would go to someone who specialized in whatever concern that you have, whatever you consider to be your primary concern or your secondary concern. So for instance, if someone is struggling with porn addiction, you'd want to see someone who specializes in that and or specializes in treating addiction. You would not want to go to someone that when you search them, it says that they treat 500 different conditions <laughs> right. because you don't want to see a general practitioner for your mental health. You really want to see someone who is a specialist. So that's always mm. um, some word of advice that I give when people ask me about that. And another that's thing really too, good. yeah. And also if there are reviews publicly to check those out to see and to scroll through them to see what people are saying. Hmm. Um, one of the great things about the internet nowadays is that there's an increased level of transparency. And so clinicians that are not doing a good job really can't get away with it in the (laughs) way that perhaps they could have been able to like 30 years ago. So go like, like if there are reviews online, if for instance, if someone is Googling, be like, what kind of reviews are, um, are coming up? They, have like a one or two or three star review like i would look elsewhere yeah yeah that's really good i think that makes a lot of sense and we we talk about that quite a bit like the difference between a generalist and a specialist and how valuable that is when you're getting treatment you know of of whatever kind it might be um are there any particular like the one thing that's happened in modern psychology is like you always have these new methods and modalities and, you know, some of them, I think, I, I think the danger now is that like somebody can present a modality on Instagram as an example. Let's not, let's say it's not even like an, mm-hmm. an official modality, but it's just like this new technique. And if they have a following, people will start trying it without it necessarily being verified or going through the checks and balances that could give you confidence from a professional level that this actually helps people. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess I'm just curious, like, are there, is, is there any modalities where you're like, oh, this, this would be great for a practitioner to have uh, the ability to, to, you know, help somebody with, treat someone with, or is there anything where you're like, hey, a lot of people are talking about this, but, you know, it's not as proven or established. I'm just wondering if there's anything else that, but that maybe people could be looking for or looking out for when they're selecting a professional. Yeah, so that's a very difficult question to answer because it ultimately depends on the client and the situation and yeah. what's happening with them. 
Um, there are so many different treatment modalities that are out there. Um, from a client standpoint, one of the things I was trained in was it's important for the clinician to stick with modality. Um, one, two, maximum three, and not do a hodgepodge mm. of doing a little bit of this, doing a little bit of that. So if someone says they're eclectic, um, that is something that I don't personally support or professionally, I per- I don't support that. Yeah. Um, but it's really hard to say because, for instance, like with um, addiction, there are certain times during certain stages of treatment, during certain stages of um, prognosis where it's appropriate and extraordinarily helpful to use a modality called motivational interviewing because it can really help someone, especially if they're an addict, to come to the realization um, that they have a challenge. Right. But once they have the realization and once they make the decision, I'm going to make changes, then cognitive behavioral therapy is extremely helpful. Okay. And so for someone to self-diagnose their stage of change, um, most people can't do it. Even if yeah. you are trained as a professional, because it's too close to home. Yeah. So, yeah. So when it comes to that, I would go to a licensed therapist to support you with that. Yeah. A good one should be able to identify that. And then whenever you do see different people posting online about different perhaps coping skills or different methods, um, to take all that stuff with a grain of salt because there's no one size fits all solution when it comes to online therapy. Yeah. Um, and there's no one size fits all solution when it comes to successfully treating porn addiction too. So Absolutely. it really depends. So I wish I had something like more simple. No, that's I, no, that's super to, helpful. To answer, but I want to be very transparent. Absolutely. No. And I, I think it, you're, you're raising a great point, which is that in, in the modern world, like, one of the things that we often lack is context, right? Like people can read a blog mm-hmm. post, they see a post online, and you just don't get the benefit of context. And so if I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is if somebody were to come to uh, to your practice and they, they're presenting an issue, the, the therapist or the professional is going to understand their situation, do some type of evaluation or assessment, and then based on what they observe, they would then decide the appropriate modality to treat. Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. And so I suppose that would be something else people could be looking out for is to make sure that if they're working with someone, that someone is actually doing an appropriate job evaluating first before they go into treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, You want to be treating for the right thing. And that's the other thing that we hmm. see sometimes. And I was just talking about this today with my entire team about treatment planning is that sometimes the patient, so let's say someone comes to us today for porn addiction but during the evaluation many times we discover there is perhaps um, untreated and undiagnosed anxiety and they're using this as a coping skill so Mm. it's treating this and treating that concurrently to really help with reducing symptoms so that's again it's like that's why it's so difficult when it comes to like trying to self-diagnose yourself and certain things like WebMD are so helpful and it's still good to see the the help of a professional because it can be really difficult to take a very 
transparent, unfiltered look within ourselves. Yeah. I mean, it's very challenging. Yeah, that's a really good point. And if in the event where there are concurrent issues, does that does that impact the modality? Like, do you use different, like for the example you gave, that was a really good example, because I imagine um, that would be very common. And are you still using ultimately one treatment approach and hopefully to tackle both? Or does it depend? I'm just curious, like, or do you pick different modalities for the pornography addiction versus the anxiety? What What would that process look like? Yeah, so it ultimately would depend on how on how the symptoms are manifesting and sure. what is happening with a client. And so what we would be doing is we'd have a treatment plan that would be addressing both. And so that really depends on the clinician and their background and what is going to be best for the client and what the client um, is also willing to do and what, what they're not willing to do. Because if you see an outstanding therapist, they're not going to set up a treatment plan that you don't consent to. Right. So there's feedback from uh, the client's end on, on um, what a treatment plan can look like. That's so good. So I've, you know, I've, um, I've seen my share of therapists over the years. And one thing that I've had to work through personally when seeing a therapist is realizing how open-ended the duration of therapy can be depending on, you know, my situation, what I'm working through, obviously how well or how unwell I'm or poorly I'm progressing through whatever's we're working through. How do you, how do you set client expectations for timeline? Cause I think, um, I think that element is important. It's not always discussed when it comes to seeing, seeing a therapist. Um, how do you, how do you guys address that aspect? Yeah. So it's typically addressed during the first session and that whenever all of the treatment goals and objectives are successfully completed and if there isn't right. anything else that should be addressed, then that is when a successful discharge would occur. So for us, we're very specific um, with how we word things and how with how we communicate things to their clients just so they have um, realistic expectations and are aware too. So that's historically how we've done it. We've had clients that will come see us for two or three months and meet all their treatment goals. They have the coping skills. They've made behavioral changes. And then we reduce the frequency to like once per month treatment or once every other month. Um, but then we've also had clients that we have been supporting since 2017 and we still support them on a weekly basis. So Wow. It really depends on the situation, um, especially with recovery, because recovery is, I mean, especially when it comes to certain addictions, it is so easy to slip back into a negative habit. You have one bad day or a bad week or have something uh, come up that's a trigger and it can be so easy to slip back. Yeah. So when it comes to clients that are in recovery, many type of addiction whether it's a behavioral or a process addiction or from um, using an actual, using an illicit substance or alcohol, um, I highly suggest for them to be in therapy on a consistent basis, even if they're not being seen once a week, even if it's every other week or once a month, just to make sure that they have the accountability and the support in place because you never know what can happen, um, you know? Yeah. And it's good to have someone you can consistently lean on 
for whenever you do have those bad days. Yeah. That's ultimately what addiction is. It is. Yeah. And I think you're right. Like I, um, I think what you just said is super important for the people that are listening because uh, we've seen this very often where people have, you know, this lifelong struggle, they get some breakthrough, you know, they're three months in, they're like, I did it, I'm good to go. They stop attending the calls, they stop like participating in the course content or whatever, like that's in our case. Um, But we've just seen people just get way too ahead of themselves. And then we like, lo and behold, it all, like you said, all it takes is a bad day, uh, a weak moment, or, or they're kind of back on it. And so I think um, that idea of something ongoing and consistent, uh, very, very good practice. Uh, that's something my wife and I have always subscribed to for ourselves. And that's not even necessarily preventative in the addiction aspect. It's just, I think it's just good practice to have that going on a regular basis. Um, okay, I want to circle back to something that you mentioned earlier. Uh, I was going to see if we had time for it. And I think we do. You yeah. mentioned you mentioned narcissism. And yeah. this has become, you know, I think a, a much more prevalent term. And uh, I know for me, when I was starting to learn about it, I was like, wait, am I a narcissist? You know, like, I think everybody goes through that when you hear yeah. this term in a bad light. Can you talk a yeah. little bit about it? I, I might, this might literally just be for me. Um, but I'm, yeah. I'm going to guess I'm sure there's at least one other person in my audience who maybe has wondered this question as well. What is narcissism exactly? And what are some of the the clear indicators of narcissism? Yeah. So narcissism occurs when someone has a very inflated ego and sense of self they think they are better than other people they think that they are special somehow they think they're much more talented than the rest of than the rest of people and they tend to not have much empathy for others Mm. um and so many times narcissists do not worry am i a narcissist so if you are worrying (laughs) that you are a narcissist (laughs) You know, yes, you probably are not. Yeah, exactly <laughs> what I needed to hear. Not. Yeah, so I, I don't know if that that helps um, at all, but um, they just have a very inflated sense of ego and sense of self, and that is why they don't mind um, hurting other people because they think they're they they genuinely believe that they're much better than other people. Huh. Um, it's interesting because we had. Um, a recent um, client that needed a specific um, evaluation conducted for court recently. And one of my providers was like, I don't know, like something wasn't right. So I'm like, well, let's do an additional test. And that's what it was. On the findings, it said uh, increased likelihood of having a narcissistic personality disorder and then I actually got an email from him for, shortly before I saw the results about uh, him telling me basically how to do my job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Tell so if you're doing, <laughs> yes, if you're doing stuff like that, like if that's not a sign, then yeah. Oh man! But many times it's not as common as people think. Like there are yeah. some people that you know have inflated egos, but they still are aware of other people's emotions this is like i am practically god and you're crap and i don't care about you and because i'm so special i can do whatever i want yeah so that type of an attitude which you definitely do not have 
Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm relieved to hear <laughs> that. Uh, I know the, the, the one thing I remember when I was looking into it, I think it was a podcast I was listening to called uh, maybe Therapist Uncensored. I forget which one it was, but they were talking about how the lack of empathy is like, you know, a really prevalent indicator. And like, we're talking about, we're not talking about like a lack of empathy. We're like in the heart of a moment, you can't empathize with the person. We're talking about like an extreme lack of empathy. And so, um, so that, that was helpful. Uh, th- this is more just for my curiosity, but how do you, do you treat somebody with narcissism can you or how do you how do you handle that if somebody comes and you do the evaluations and it turns out they're a narcissist oh yeah that's a really great question and narcissism is a personality disorder there is no amount of medication and therapy in the world that can truly change someone's personality Hmm. so they are the way that they are And so with the treatment and potential medication management, a score is really learning how to navigate um, in the world and learning how to better interact with others. But there is no cure for narcissism or for any personality disorder. So, yeah. So, and it's a very challenging um, condition to treat. Um, not just narcissism, any personality disorder. Yeah, yeah, I believe it. So Sarah, you have done like your part to get your message out. You have a bunch of books. Uh, you have a great podcast. Um, and obviously, you have an amazing practice as well. Um, I, I think from my notes, I saw you're licensed in Vermont, Pennsylvania, Florida. And so for people are listening, you guys need to go check um, check these guys out. And you do everything online. Is that correct? Yeah, so Make and Wellness is 100% remote. And we are here to support you when you are looking for online therapy. And we partner with most commercial insurance companies. So um, it's covered by your insurance. So if you're ready to get help, call us at 833-274-HEAL. That is 833-274-HEAL. And we do have a podcast called Stuff My Therapist Does. We have (laughs) therapists. I love the name of that. It's so good. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So we have therapists from our team and other therapists that are not on the making wellness team as guests. And we bring these amazing specialists on and they help to educate you. Um, And we have a bunch of different topics and you can check that out for free anywhere you can find your favorite podcast. So make sure you subscribe to that as well. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you for all you're doing. Thanks for taking some time out. I know you're super busy. Um, I learned a lot. I was taking notes the whole time. And uh, and we'll make sure that we put links in the show notes to all the stuff there. We'll put the phone number as well. Um, Sarah, thanks so much for your time today. This is amazing. Wonderful. And thank you so much for having me on. This is great. Okay, well, there you have it. That was a loaded interview. I, I was literally taking notes the whole time. I'm looking at my, my sheet right now here. And um, I, I, I learned a lot. Uh, there were definitely some cool insights I got from her. But it's also just, it was really helpful for me to just hear like, oh, so I'm not the only person in the world who's dealt with anxiety the last couple of years, you know. And I, I know that, like, obviously, I know other people are dealing with anxiety. But it's just different when you get it from an authority like that who, you know, is seen it at a, a much larger scale. Um, really appreciated that. 
Uh, we put links to everything in the show notes. The number 833-274-FEEL. We'll put that in there as well in case you didn't get a chance to write that down. The podcast is called Stuff My Therapist Says and the practice is called Make and Wellness. So guys, highly recommend you go check them out. Um, and, and I think, again, one thing she she just very briefly mentioned this, but it really is quite notable, which is that like part of the reason the practice has grown is because the word is starting to spread. Like They're obviously doing a good job and I was really impressed with even um, just what she was talking about when you go to see her, you know, you're going to get an evaluation first. They're going to go through the treatment plan with you. They're going to make sure you consent. Those are some things that other therapists haven't done with me, by the way. Um, and so I think that's really, um, they, they clearly do a good job. They know their stuff and um, they have your best interests in mind. So highly recommend you go check them out. And if you're looking for other tools, uh, maybe more specifically with porn addiction, um, if you don't have my copy of The Last Relapse, you really should get on that. And you can get a free copy of it at thelastrelapsebook.com. That's my gift to all the listeners of this podcast. And I do highly recommend it. Uh, that's kind of our blueprint for recovery from A to Z. If you're looking for a systematic approach uh, to getting free of porn addiction, then um, then we do highly recommend it. And uh, I do want to make it super clear because sometimes people pit coaches and counselors against each other. Um, I like I said, I see counselors myself. I have huge value for them. And the people who tend to do best in our programs are people that see a counselor in conjunction with our program, or they've seen a counselor uh, prior because they just have a really good foundation that we're able to build on. So I think these two things work really well hand in hand. That's everything for today, guys. As always, if you have questions, you can email us, podcast at thetheasam.com. But without further ado, much love to you guys. Have an amazing day. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. It's Thea again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.